This is the Happy Are You Poor podcast, discussing topics related to radical Catholic community. This is your host, Malcolm Schlenderfritz. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that we postponed our episode on cult dynamics and moved the current episode on community up instead. Joining me today is my co-host, Peter Land. Our guest today is Aaron Pott from an intentional Christian community here in Denver. Hi, Aaron. We're so glad to have you join us. It's really cool to be here with you both, Malcolm and Peter. So, Peter, uh, here in Denver, it's been really cold. Is that the case for you there in Philadelphia? Yeah, it is pretty cold here. We've gotten some major snowstorms over the past week or two, which has, for me, been pretty exciting. Being snowed in again, I haven't seen so much snow in a, a few years. So, uh and I live at a retreat center, which is just gorgeous with all the snow, snow-lined trees and everything else. So I'm, I'm yeah, I'm very much enjoying the uh, winter wonderland that I'm a part of here. Cool. It, are, is your uh, retreat center still hosting retreats during COVID, Peter? Yes, Aaron. It, um, it closed down from when COVID started, like back in March, or at least when restrictions went in place. And then... It only opened back up um, in a very restricted sense in July, I think. And then since summertime, it's been offering more and more retreats in a limited capacity. But there is also um, the virtual aspect that is being offered, uh, virtual retreats. And so that's, that's blessing people who are not ready to come out of their house or are not able to or are in a different part of the country. So... Um, but yeah, compared to what it was before the pandemic started, it's just like a, a small percentage of people. Have you been doing anything like this? Have you been doing virtual stuff, Aaron? No, um, we, we did tried church virtually a couple times, and it was kind of a madhouse trying to uh, engage the kids. Um, and so we gave up after a couple weeks, unfortunately. Uh, I've done, we did a cup, a handful of things. Um, I've mostly just really pared down my social circle and have just done uh, backyard visitation. Um, I've got a couple men's groups that I do where we just meet in someone's backyard. Aaron, I know that uh, you're part of an intentional community here in Denver. Um, could you tell us a little bit about it and how it got started? Sure, love to. I guess a little prehistory. My wife Julia and I, uh, I think we moved into the first. We lived in several different intentional communities before we were married. Uh, I think three different ones. One of them we lived in together uh, before we were dating, and uh, they were um, quite different. Uh, one was a was. I would almost call it an anti-Christian. A lot of the housemates were were pretty vocally anti-Christian, um, uh, but the the community did a lot of food projects around the city of Denver and had a real heart for serving the poor. And it was it was beautiful to witness and to be a part of. Um, and then we lived in a, it was, I would call it a non-intentional community. It was more just a, a bunch of housemates. I think there were 14 of us living in a duplex. 
Um, and several of us knew each other from church, but there was really no spiritual grounding or, or uh, common vocabulary uh, for community. It was more out of convenience and fun. And then uh, as we were preparing to get married, um, I had just assumed, oh, we get married, we find our own place and kind of continue on with our life, connecting with community and kind of figuring out how to build it from there. But uh, Julia said that she would love to find a place where we could intentionally live as a married couple with other people. Um, And uh, that was thrilling for me. And through uh, a lot of prayer and discerning, um, I mean, it's the way that God works so often. You do all you, the things you can do to, to control the situation, and then God does something completely different out of left field. But uh, through a mutual friend, we found um, the house that we currently live in uh, was kind of starting up a new community, um, and was, we're looking for some, some additional folks to move in. So the house that we live in, we've been here for 10 years, and uh, about six years ago, the former owners sold the house to us. Uh, the former owners were uh, missionaries with Mary Knoll um, in Bolivia and Mexico. And so uh, for the last, well, a lot of the last 20 years, they just had kind of a rolling community managing their house in Denver. So the name of our community, Casa Carapuse Ming, means house of welcome and mission in uh, Spanish, Swahili, and Mandarin Chinese. And those were uh, three languages from people groups that the original founders of the house community, the Marinol missioners, along with a couple other folks from the, um, the local church, uh, those were people groups that, that they had been working with and ministering with. And so they... Um, back in 94, when the house originally started, that was the vision, was to have a home of uh, welcome, of hospitality, and of discernment. Um, and so we were able to step into a lot of the vision that they had already started with the house, and then with the housemates over the years, refine and tweak and develop that vision um, to fit our passions and callings. Um, and lifestyles. That was very interesting. I was wondering about the name for one thing. Uh, so that, that's good to know because I tried to uh, uh, run it through. I realized that even despite the first word, it wasn't Spanish. So I tried to put it through Google Translate and, uh-huh. and nothing came <laughs> out. Um, that is very interesting. What is the, what kind of, um, spirituality would you say grounds your attempts at living in Christian intentional community? Is there uh, something that's really stood out for you as far as your inspiration? Yeah. And um, honestly, it's, it's, uh, it's almost become a house of value, the ecumenical community that we have. Uh, My wife and I both grew up in, um, I guess you'd call them evangelical Bible church cultures. Um, And then we've got two housemates that are Catholic. We've had a lot of 
uh, over the last 10 years, we've had a lot of different housemates. Um, but our current lineup um, is my wife and I, and we just had our fourth child. Um, and then we live with Sue, who is in her mid-70s. She's a, a grandmother and great-grandmother. Uh, and we've lived with her for, for 10 years. And then Michael, who is um, in his early 30s, he's a, a Spanish court interpreter. And, uh, and then Cole and Chelsea, another couple. Um, and then Cole's son uh, is, is with us part-time. We have, uh, over the, the history of the house, had folks from many different uh, faith communities be part of it. The, the cores, we've kind of written it up a little bit, but um, largely our, our house has some, some vision and mission that we live into that is, uh, it's pretty low commitment, um, but we found that it's, it's a, a healthy level for the, the housemates to engage in. Obviously, we are centered around Christ and the gospel and uh, go back to scripture and uh, the ideas of living into the kingdom of God and what that means, uh, you know, through the, the Our Father uh, praying your kingdom come, constantly going back to that and saying, you know, what, how are we interacting with that prayer? We're, we're praying this. Um, how are we being the answer to those prayers? Um, so there's a, a handful of common, I guess, home liturgies, the way that we live together, places of communion, communing together, uh, centered around Christ. We do a, a potluck meal together every other Monday night. Um, and take time to give life updates and just share and spend good time together. We also, every Sunday evening, get together for a common prayer. We just uh, we use a, a prayer book that's been really great for us. It's called the Book of Common Prayer for Ordinary Radicals, uh, put together by several authors. Um, and so that's been a really good time. And then usually take a half hour or so after that to pray for each other and catch up and just spend time together. And the third area has been through service. Um, and our house is our, our ministry and mission as a, as a collective house. I think everyone, all the individual housemates have their own callings kind of outside the home, but in the home, we do a lot of hospitality uh, we've got, it's a large house and the basement is set up with bunk beds. And so we, in non-COVID years, uh, host a group of interns for the summer uh, who work with Denver's uh, street youth with an organization called Dry Bones. And then during the school year, we host about eight week-long groups of college students who are in Denver doing service work. And then between those eight weeks of hosting groups, we have any number of um, kind of random connections that stay with us. During COVID, we have, um, because all the groups canceled, we have had a, a family who was sort of bouncing around uh, 
left a bad situation in another state and needed a place to stay. And so there is, we've had them with us for six and a half months uh, living in our basement for kids and their mother. Um, they have been wonderful and it's been really interesting to kind of see how the Lord provided for them and for us being able to live into our ministry and what we can give. Um, and then also in how perfectly it matched up with the need that this family had during this time. Yeah, Aaron, um, I was just thinking of how the house is true to its name and how the character and spirituality reflect uh, the description of the name as being a house of welcome and mission. And I experienced that welcome uh, quite clearly when I visited, you know, being able to stay with you all for a few weeks and feeling very much at home in a in a Christian environment that didn't have a lot of expectations, but invited me to be a part of the community life. So I really uh, appreciate that. And um, I wonder how you see mission flowing from welcome or how they interact, how they connect. Do you, do you kind of see welcome as kind of being like the bedrock and, and a foundational piece of allowing us to be on mission as Christians together? That's beautiful, Peter. Absolutely. Um, I, boy, there is, I guess, so much of my, my personal ministry and mission and the way that I see my passions connecting to the world's need um, is through, is through that uh, welcoming spirit. I really, um, on my good days, love to identify with the the humility uh, and the welcome of Christ. Um, thinking about uh, the way that he interacted with the woman caught in adultery, where he just stooped over and, and drew in the dirt and created space for for people's true hearts to be revealed to themselves. I grew up in a, a very evangelical culture, and I still. Um, hold a lot of those values and and see the need for evangelism, but I also have feel like I've grown so much in recognizing the uh, the work that the Holy Spirit has been doing for decades in people's lives, and that I'm just sort of entering for a moment and get to uh, sit and listen and hear where the the person is at and what God is doing in their life, and it really has taken a lot of pressure off me as far as evangelism goes to to uh to have that welcoming spirit and and be able to connect with or enter into where uh, that person is in their journey with god um, in that moment it's almost like um being present to people welcoming them listening um not having an agenda like you mentioned, uh, how Christ embraced those who came to him tends to be evangelical or missionary, or it, it, there's a mission to that. It seems to me that people, um, they're drawn to love. You know, they're drawn to love when they experience somebody who just is entirely present to them. I think sometimes we're so focused as Christians on kind of like converting people to um, a particular doctrine 
and having them join a particular church or, you know, say a particular prayer. But the mission you're kind of speaking of is, I think, more um, existential, like more human in a way, just like letting people discover their own humanity and and grow as persons uh, in the light of community. Yeah. Um, there, the, the history of our house has had quite a bit of connection with Denver's Catholic worker uh, community. Um, and our, our housemate Sue was a part of that community in service for, for five years shortly before we moved in with her. Um, and so I think there's been a lot of the kind of the history of the Catholic worker that is just sort of um, naturally or organically rubbed off on the way that we do things. Uh, we're pretty different and we have different needs than a traditional Catholic worker home. Um, but I think a lot of the spirit and inspiration is shared. Aaron, I really liked what you said about being present to people because it made me think about how, even though when Christ was here on earth, he, he said many words that Christ is the word of God. In one sense, we, we, and then as part of the mystical body, we are also the word of God, even if we're not saying any words. And, and that can even be in a way, a more effective word, that witness of life, that witness of love to other people. Uh, I have a question. Uh, you mentioned, you know, getting together for um, events, uh, potluck meals, communal prayer. Outside of those structured events, how much interaction do the people in the house have with one another? And also, how is the, kind of connected to that question, how is the building arranged? How much uh, shared area as opposed to private space for the families and individuals that make up the community? Great, great question. And to answer that, I would uh, just share that it has changed so much um, over the last decade for us. Uh, originally, when uh, shortly after we moved into the house, we said yes anytime someone needed a place to live. Um, and so we, my wife and I lived, I guess, to, to paint a picture. The house is 132 years old. Um, it's located uh, maybe a, a mile and a half from downtown Denver. And so we're still pretty close to the, the city center, but definitely in a, an urban, urban like single-family zoned area. Near the beginning, we had, uh, I think there were 14 people that were living here on and off, and that would you know increase to... 20 or 25 and college groups would come. And so we just had people sort of, you know, stuffed in every large closet of the house. Um, and it got to be pretty unsustainable um, and recognized uh, the, the, the turning point was when Julie and I were expecting our first child and realized that we had to um, create some boundaries to keep our family healthy and sustainable and safe. Uh, and so there were, there were two people living on the third floor with us, and we have since turned those two rooms into kids' bedrooms now that we have four kids. So um, our family lives on the third floor, and then 
Uh, Sue is in one room on the second floor and Cole and Chelsea in another. And then Michael has a, a room on the first floor and then the basement is almost always um, being occupied for hospitality. So we've, we have really shifted a lot over the years um, and trying to really live into, uh, I guess, openness and vulnerability and honesty with each other to say, uh, yes, I am in a good place to, to, you know, to host this family for six months. I can give it my full yes or no. Um, I think our house has uh, kind of been over, overworked and we need to uh, go into a time of, of rest um, or a Sabbath, if you will. So we have had to make a lot of tough choices um, saying no to people who have genuine needs and, and trusting that God will honor uh, the prayerful choices that we're making and has something else for that person. We end up having regular, um, very vulnerable and tough conversations as a house uh, to try and come to, to a consensus. Uh, and I guess it's been real interesting with COVID uh, with saying as a house, we have to be as safe as our most vulnerable member requires. And so there's been a lot of sacrifices. I think uh, a lot of people in the house would have lived very differently if they'd lived alone, but because, you know, we had Sue in her mid seventies and uh, my daughter, Junie, who has had a lot of lung problems, we've had to make a lot of choices to live much more conservatively and protected than we, than some of the housemates might otherwise have um, during this time. So a lot of it is just comes down to vulnerable and honest conversations from the heart with housemates um, on how we are organized and how we can uh, be real with our needs and our surplus. Aaron, you know, one of the things I really appreciated about the house itself was the was the character of it. You know, you mentioned that it's like 120 years old or so and how it's built, like the built environment and how it tends to facilitate community by itself. In the house, this house has both a great front porch, um, a side porch for interacting with people who are passing by and interacting. There's a lot of common like public space, so to speak, at the house where as, as for me, I was able to join others, you know, in a very um, accessible way. And, but I also had my personal space to retreat back to when I needed to, when I needed silence or solitude. And it seems like there's that nice balance at Casa Caribou. You know, people have their private space, but then there's the kitchen, at least on the first floor, would attract people. Everybody had to cook and make meals. And often we were eating together when it wasn't um, prearranged. And and then there was the great living room space and the dining room um, that, you know, just attracted people. Like if you wanted to be around people or at least available to others, you could be. Um, and then, you know, it, with the porches around the house, it interfaced really well with the, with the neighborhood. So, and, and your next door neighbors, which maybe you could talk about a little bit as well. Um, how they kind of shared the backyard space with you, but you know, you, you just, you can see people walking by and you get to know a little bit of your neighbors. So it seems like there's, 
the opportunity to be a little bit more social or a little bit more um, independent or private, depending on the needs of the in- individual. Perfectly stated. And we we see that with different housemates who are, you know, maybe more introverted and um, or the extroverts like myself. Uh, so, yeah. In the in the the backyard on the same property is a, a carriage house, and there is a really sweet um, immigrant family from Mexico who they've I think lived in that house for fifteen years at least. Uh, so they were they were living here before we moved onto the property, um, and so at different times we have shared more community with them. Um, I think as my family has grown and our, our house has kind of clarified and kind of uh, um, pulled together a little bit more. Uh, lately, there's been less of that uh, shared community with them, but it is, it is really cool. And especially during the summers, I try to make it a point to spend time in the evenings on the porch, um, just getting to know the neighbors. Uh, I guess, there's there's a lot of interesting ways that our house has figured out. I think there was a, there's a comment on your website about um, proximity or benefits of being in an urban center, and we've experienced that so much um, through just meeting people walking their dogs past the house and, and trying to to create an atmosphere of availability uh, and uh, kind of extending that community to folks in the neighborhood, um, to also there's a community garden that, that Julia helps facilitate uh, just a block away. And so we've gotten to meet a lot of really wonderful neighbors through that also. And then also through the, my wife and I attend a church that is west, uh, three or four blocks west of us. And then Sue and Michael attend the Catholic church that's a block and a half east. Um, and so that also we are connected to different circles in the Christian um, community, even just within our neighborhood. Um, and so many beautiful connections and conversations have come out of that. You know, Aaron, one of the things that's been striking me as you were talking is you first talked about how part of your spirituality is uh, from the Our Father, you know, that the Lord's kingdom come and trying to figure out how you and, and the community can be a part of that, and yet at the same time realizing that, you know, like you don't have to do it all, that it's not, you know, like it's not um, your shoulders ultimately. Uh, and, and that really speaks to me because I can often get caught up in, you know, these projects I'm trying to do to serve God and serve my neighbor and worry about getting it right, but that ultimately that, God is in charge, that he can use what we do and even what we don't do for his greater glory, and that nothing that he allows can ultimately turn out to be a bad thing, that if he allows it, there must be some good to be brought out of that event. Yeah, I, you know, it just it brings up uh, last week when we were chatting, um, talking about some of the what do you call them on your website? Uh, pillars of community, or I? Um... Yeah, the uh, the principles of community. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I, Julie and I went through those all a couple nights ago, and uh, so many of them are beautifully put. Um, and there's so much wisdom that that I say, well, gosh, 15 years ago I would have laughed at so many of these, but after living them, it's they're they're so true. And I was uh, just before our conversation, I was listening to your the third episode you're, you're recording with Jason on uh, gospel poverty, and um, I encourage the listeners to, if you haven't, to go back and listen to that interview again. It was it's wonderful, but so many of the things um, I think that that it's illuminating is, uh, I guess, entering into all of your, all, all the different aspects of your faith humbly and with an open heart and open hands to see how God is working within that element, that, n- that no part of the Christian life is a, uh, a, a black and white um, to-do list, but it's all an organic and growing thing uh, between you and God and you, God, and your community and the world. Uh, I think especially with a a house that or a community that is mission that mission is an important aspect of it um, there's a lot to be said for making wise choices in how you're serving and how you're reaching out uh, to be true to what God is asking of you and not um, not putting your ideals and the the things that you have convinced yourself are right above um, your health or, or rather above God's calling. I overdid it a couple years ago, um, had been living a certain way, kind of, a, uh, I guess, oh, oh, over-serving or not serving in a sustainable way. I drove myself into a pretty deep depression and um, ended up seeing a therapist for six months to kind of work out a lot of it, and a lot of it came back to some wrong theology that I was operating out of, considering every interaction and, and obligation, essentially, to say, well, if, if this person I'm interacting with is in need, I am obligated to meet the, their needs. Um, and where God can call that and provide opportunities to, to love people that way often and daily, um, I was taking the responsibility all on myself. Aaron, I just want to say that um, when I was living with you guys for that period of time, I, I really came to appreciate some of the things you've talked about in this podcast, but one of them being your sensitivity to the needs of the community and the needs of the residents and like your prayerful discernment of steps to take going forward actions to take, whether to invite more people into the house or not, Um, just being aware of everyone, but yet at the same time, like making a firm decision and like being the father of the house. Like I I really recognize that and admired it because without that like authority, without that kind of leadership, I think community can really devolve and it can become – I don't know, arguments and people squabbling over this and that. And I think you hold a really great balance, Aaron, of being able to um, listen, but also make a decision and act in a way that everybody respects and appreciates and will ultimately follow. 
it kind of makes me think of our our current pope. You know, he he very much uh, speaks about the need for um, prayerful discernment and listening to others, but then like being clear about our choices as we go forward. And like, it doesn't mean you can't change or amend that, but that you know we we have to be decisive. And I think in our culture we're we're very much losing that because we're so afraid of maybe offending other people. And I wonder if that's something that you had to work out over time um, as you as you were kind of like raising a family and living with other residents. And I'd love to hear also about how that's been, the dynamic between raising children in a larger community environment, um, something that's very countercultural. Uh, most most families now live in kind of nuclear, their nuclear setting. And um, I don't know if you if you have some time to maybe share a little bit about that as well. So as far as leadership in the house, I it's I wish Julia was able to be on this uh, call with us. I think she's got a lot of wisdom to share in this area. Also, we have uh, witnessed um, quite a few other communities and uh, really pulled pulled elements from them that that would would serve our community well um, and. One of those things, I think, is the value of having someone who can say, yes, we're doing this, no, we're doing, no, we're not doing this, and who can kind of be a, a mediator. Um, I think uh, consensus is a beautiful thing. I also think that people, communities can just get lost in the weeds really easily. I I think that our house is... It is a kind of, it's a cool thing um, that Julia and I were offered to purchase this house, um, you know, several years after we'd been living in community here. And it's also really beneficial to have folks that we've lived with for so long, uh, Sue for 10 years, Michael for six or seven years, and Cole for, um, I don't know, five years. And uh, I guess just all recognizing the effects that our actions have on each other and um, also during during different seasons of my life I have it's been a real joy to be able to defer leadership to others in the house um, that we have enough of a common vocabulary and common mission that that uh, like especially Cole the last couple of years um, has really stepped up with coordinating house meals and initiating conversations that needed to happen as a house, but that I was being obtuse to or uh, too too worn out to uh, schedule. He's taken a lot of beautiful leadership, and I think that's. Um, I've also seen Michael do that quite a few times, and Julia, um, and Sue, with with you know all sort of just humbly bringing, bringing up things that we need to talk about. Or uh, this last year or a year and a half ago, Cole pulled me aside and said, hey, you know, we've been doing this thing in community and I've been thinking about it and I don't really understand how it, it lines up to our, our stated mission as a house or our, our vision as a house. And I thought about it and realized he was absolutely right. And so we, we cut that part um, out of the community and it was a really healthy move. 
So I, I always want to be in a place where there is a, a clear leader who can make decisions, but also an environment where there's a lot of flexibility, where the needs of the community, um, things can be shifted and rediscussed and redefined. And I guess moving into what it's like living with kids in community, um, it feels like uh, an, like an endless sacrifice. Um, and I, I know that that is, that is a big part of, of having kids and having a family. I think my, it's revealed a lot of my, uh, my pride to me uh, in that um, kind of I've had to pull back from the community a lot because my family needs a lot more from me. And so um, kind of uh, Cole and Michael and Sue have, have with the hospitality, uh, kind of taken over a, quite a bit of that from me, um, which has been a wonderful blessing to be able to, to share that leadership and all kind of come to serve each other. Uh, I Sometimes I'm just shocked that our housemates still choose to live with us. So we've got four kids, and our oldest is five. He's almost six. Um, and so there is a lot of noise and mess and chaos in our house all the time. And especially with having uh, a family with four additional children in the house and a lot of housemates working from home during the pandemic, it's added a lot of complication um, to things. But I, I feel like it's all been very purposeful. Um, we have all had to have tough conversations and grow and, uh, you know, make, make space and accommodation for each other, um, to love and serve each other in new ways, to be vulnerable with our frustrations with each other and trying to find a, a common solution that can work for us. Um, so, uh, Julia and I are in a constant conversation about what it looks like to live with kids in community. I'm actively trying to seek out other families who are living in shared housing to, to hear some of their wisdom and how they're doing it. Um, it's definitely been uh, vulnerable for me because I can't hide my my sin or my failures because I live with people. So when I'm um, real short with the kids or uh, have no patience and get all bent out of shape, um, everyone sees it. And I, I don't get to put on a, uh, a good Christian mask at all in front of my housemates. And that is painful for me, but it's also great for me. Uh, I think that, that it's really important and healthy thing to be seen as you are with all of your faults um, and to still have people love you and care for you. One, one other comment, a quick story, just to, it's not all doom and gloom. It's, it's tough, but it's beautiful also. We have um, had such a cool, I guess, sort of symbiosis or, or community with Sue, um, who's in her 70s, uh, who um, we are each other's essentially adopted family. She has 
kids and grandkids in the state that she sees uh, on somewhat of a regular basis. But uh, in terms of family, we are each other's family. And so um, most nights of the week, uh, Julia will cook a meal and we will eat it with Sue. And then she will do the dishes while we put the kids to bed. And uh, it's a beautiful way of being served and um, also serving and caring for her. Uh, and I think it's, I would love to see more families able to have even a non-related um, older person to live with. I think there's so much benefit for both the families and for the the older person. Sue has said that if she didn't live here, she would probably be living in a low-income retirement community that's a couple blocks away um, by herself. And uh, she comments regularly how what a blessing it is to her life to be able to share life with us in the home. And uh, uh, it's, it goes both ways. I just wanted to say real quick, thank you, Aaron, so much for being with us and sharing your thoughts and your experiences and even just being vulnerable here on the podcast. It's very beautiful and inspiring to hear you talk about, um, yeah, your experience with in community. And I, I feel like I'm just learning a lot and it's, it's very wonderful. I mean, it's so great to hear that like people coming together lightens, lightens burdens and we how like we can work together by living together. Like it's not just, it's not just more difficult to have more people in the house, but actually um, it can be a much greater blessing. And especially to have, like you said, an elderly presence, which um, our culture tends to disregard at times, or um, like you, like, like she even said, she might be in a low income retirement facility where very rarely, she might rarely be visited. So um yeah, I'm just I'm just struck by the kind of the dynamics that like how life grows in connection with others and flourishes and yeah, I could share a lot of stories about the ways that life has been made better and easier by living in community. I mean, just having, you know, people at the house, I one of my housemates is watching our our baby right now as I'm on this podcast and um and it's just uh, doing it to care for me. Um, or yesterday, uh, the the woman who were hosting in the basement, uh, I kept an eye on her four kids while she ran to the store, so she didn't have to bring all the kids to the store. And so there's, uh, you know, someone shoveled the walk this morning, and I have no idea who it was, but I woke up and went outside, and it was already done. It was a, uh, I was just so grateful, such a blessing to to have that um, just sort of people around who are, who are paying attention and who have maybe some availability to pay attention. Uh, Denver's, Denver's rent has uh, fully doubled um, and probably gone a decent bit over double uh, in the last probably six years. And so uh, we, all of our housemates, were able to still live. Uh, you can make minimum wage and still pay rent here, um, where really that's not possible anywhere else in the city. 
have a place where you can have a minimum wage job and still um, pay rent. And, and uh, you know, that's something that I just give the glory straight to God. It was a, a gift to us, the, the missionaries that sold us the house at a time when costs were lower. And so we have just been able to keep rent steady uh, to, to make the bills every month. Uh, it's been a huge blessing to have to be able to share the load of that. I don't think that Julia and I could afford to live in Denver um, if we were living alone. And so it's a, it's a blessing on so many different levels. Yeah, Aaron, it's really wonderful to hear you, you know, talking honestly about all the hardships, but also blessings that community can bring. And I was thinking about your point about, you know, not being able to put on a mask. And I was you know, I, I've thought before sometimes that we, you know, think about community, Christian community in many ways, such as, you know, providing a good example and, and that sort of thing, providing mutual encouragement. And that's true. But I think also there's a certain advantage to coming together in groups as Christians because of the fact that we realize that we're all broken because Think about Christ. You know, Christ is the only sinless one, and he came in solidarity with all of we, we sinners. Uh, I remember hearing a sermon about the baptism in the Jordan and about how John is preaching a baptism of repentance for sin. So everyone's lining up to admit that they're sinners in need of cleansing. And then Christ comes and gets in line, even though he doesn't have any sin. But he wasn't like carrying a big sign, you know, I'm not a sinner. Um, that willingness to identify and, and share, or St. Paul's is to share one another's burdens. And of course, it's, it's a hard thing both for the one who takes on some of someone else's burden and also for the one who doesn't want to, you know, burden someone else with their burden. It, it can be difficult, but it's so necessary, I think, at times in Christian community. Gosh, that, that gave me shivers. Uh, there's so much truth in that and in the beauty that can come from allowing your burden to be shared by others. Something I think bears mentioning, uh, the, an, an idea that has really been powerful for, for us in our marriage is the idea, uh, it's an idea that translates into community really well, um, the idea that your partner is not meant to satisfy or to meet all of your needs. Um, and in the same way, recognizing that our, our home community is not meant to, to meet all of our needs. Um, a lot of them can be met, and it can be really beautiful to see how those happen, uh, but, but coming, coming without or I guess coming with realistic expectations of what your com community can be for you. Um, and so uh, some recognizing how we have some shared community through the community garden um, and through the two churches that different housemates attend, um, through a, a small group that we are part of through our church with uh, three other families in the neighborhood that has met a lot of needs that we didn't even know we had or new needs um, that have come about as, uh, as we've, as our family's grown with the kids. 
And uh, I guess just wanting that to be part of our conversation today is, is kind of recognizing the types of expectations that are appropriate um, and the, I guess, the, how poisonous idealism can be at times um, for communities. Yeah, you know, Aaron, when we were talking uh, a week or so ago, you mentioned that your informal motto is that you're high-quality people with low expectations. And I really, I really like that line. I mean, it could probably be, be read wrongly, but um, understood correctly, I think it's important. You, know, you were talking about uh, you know, just not expecting the community to meet all your needs or solve all your problems or be absolutely perfect. Um, because I've seen a lot of people interested in community who are coming at it with this expectation that, you know, they're going to leave behind all their problems, that everything's going to be wonderful. When the reality is that they'll probably bring, uh, some of their own problems with them that they can't escape them by going somewhere else and that nothing is ever perfect in this life, but because they come at it with such high and usually incompatible expectations, such a lot of idealism, as you mentioned, the community doesn't work. I was even thinking, jumping back earlier in this conversation, you mentioned that you, you know, you, your community doesn't eat all your meals together as a group, though you eat some meals together as a group, that you don't have uh, communal prayer times every day as a group. And I was thinking about another Christian community that I know of where they set out with uh, the seemingly harmless idea that they were going to eat uh, uh, dinner together every day and they were going to have two community prayer times together every day. And after a few years, the community had really burned out. Um, and they realized that by stepping back a little from that, too high, those, those expectations of intentionality that were just a little too high, the community was actually greatly improved in, in, in its dynamics and how it functioned and how the people were actually able to relate to one another. And that might seem kind of counterintuitive. We're so isolated and individualist in today's culture, it might seem that the more um, community uh, time we could have, the thicker the community was, the better. But as you're speaking to, that's not always the case. Yeah. Um, it, you know, obviously the, the catchphrase, high quality people with low expectations, it's pretty tongue in cheek. Um, but it has served us really well. Um, I think, like I mentioned, I just witnessed multiple intentional Christian communities uh, self-destruct in really um, harmful and damaging ways uh, to the people who are parts of them. Um, and so, yeah, there's there's a lot of just organic things. I think coming into um, community living with the understanding of of how can we help this to operate like a healthy family would? And there are, you know, tons of different models of community. Uh, and some are, are some people are really suited to some of those models. We are just a bunch of normal people. Um, I have a, I'm a designer as my, my nine to five job. And, uh, then I am a father, and then I am a housemate and a friend um, to people. And so we 
obviously Sue's retired and she does a lot of uh, volunteering and service work around the city, but everyone else in the house um, just has their job. So we are, we are not, I guess, coming at this in an attempt to be radical, but in an attempt to, uh, to um, avoid a lot of the isolation uh, and damage that comes from that um, that's promoted in our culture uh, and to figure out how to make life better how to support each other, uh, living into that. Um, so uh, I, I think it's important to mention that we're not, we're not doing something radical in, in a certain sense um, or, or trying to live up to some expectation. We are just sort of taking things a day at a time and seeing the, the beauty and the goodness that can come out of that, of, of sharing parts of our lives as we're able with each other. Aaron, that's such a great point. Thank you. Community doesn't have to be seen as something like radical. You know, it, it actually ought to be seen as something that's more normal and every day as it used to be. And like how fruitful and, and blessed if we could kind of rediscover a little bit of that without, as you both are mentioning, like placing a lot of expectations on some kind of ideal Christian community. Like we need to pray so many times a day. We need to share certain meals, do service projects, you know, like, you know, including all this structure that could end up being a burden. Christianity's so much more about freedom, you know, the, but freedom that is committed to another freedom that, yeah, allow, like, I don't know, draws on the initiative of ourselves to love each other. And I think you put it before, like a, continue to sacrifice, you know, but not, not from this place of like, um, just obligation, but like a willing spirit. So I, I, I just like, one of the thoughts that I keep thinking about is how important community is like relationships, close relationships are for our own human good and flourishing and, and also coming to know ourselves. Like you mentioned both of you, the humility that community engenders because we come to know ourselves I think a lot more clearly like our faults our weaknesses our our, our sins in light of uh, the presence of other people that that surround us and I think as we see others the faults of others I think we're invited to become more compassionate and more merciful and not so judgmental which is it's interesting, right, Aaron? Like this is what's happening in our culture. Like it's becoming more polarized, more judgmental, more um, just divisive. And I wonder how much of that stems from a lack of actual encountering the humanity and the and the actual persons of another who differ from us. Often the people we're fighting against, it's like virtual. You know, we're we're not coming in into their presence and, and seeing them as a person with needs and with their own brokenness that we share with them. So I'm just, um, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I wonder if that's something that has occurred to you and how you, I don't know how that's being worked out at Casa Caribou. I mean, I guess it's just a natural part of the life and the, the daily encounter and. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, I was, 
thinking like any part of your life, you can remain as isolated as you choose, whether you are, you know, no, no matter how magical your community is. Um, so it's a, it is an individual's choice to open themselves up in love and vulnerability and humility um, in community. And uh, Julia and I have talked so much over the last several years uh, and it's been really fun to listen to previous episodes of this podcast and hear you, uh, Peter and Malcolm, discussing this also about the idea of uh, decisions or motivation coming from a place of fear as a reaction to something that you are afraid of. And that just, um, I lit up when I heard you guys discussing that because I think it could, it needs to be talked about every day uh, and about really questioning, am I doing this? Out of, a, out of a place of generosity and love for myself, for my family, for my community, for my city, or is this a, a fear reaction? Um, and so I think that, that those ideas come into a lot of our conversations as a house also. Uh, it, you know, and with COVID, behaving in a conservative and very safe way uh, it could be looked at as a as a, a fear motivation, but it can also, and I think it truly has been, out of love for uh, vulnerable housemates um, that we've made a lot of the conservative choices uh, that we have. Yeah, I, I know. I we we brought up that fear dynamic because I see so much of it all around. Everyone is afraid of of something and that unfortunately some of the voices advocating for Christian community are advocating it for fear of the outside for fear of the other. Um, and to swing back uh, just a, li a little bit in the conversation when you were saying Aaron that, uh, you know, you're normal people. <laughs> uh, and that's, and that's so, so important too, because community is normal. Uh, nowadays, because our surrounding culture is so atomized, it's seen as radical. I mean, it is, it's radical by the norms of our prevailing culture to have a community, but it's just, it's the way we've always lived. It's what human beings do living in community. And it's especially what Christians do to live in community. And so in a sense, then it's radical because it's unusual I, I, but I think that when people hear community, they start imagining, uh, you know, a lay monastery or an Amish village or something else that's sort of exotic. And that's too bad because it means that less people attempt it, but also that when they do attempt it, they can uh, imagine that they're doing something really, uh, really unusual, really strange. And that, and that isn't a good way to, that isn't a good beginning to have the community work successfully. I've thought about this in a lot of different aspects in our life, that our culture is so warped that so many of the normal things suddenly seem radical. As Christians, we're called to go so much beyond, but today even the normal seems radical, seems difficult. We're living in this odd time in which we have to radically live out the normal human, the normal Christian dimensions of reality. And I think that's probably a good point to end this podcast episode on we're coming to the end of our time but Aaron I really just wanted to thank you for coming and sharing your 
experience. I think it's really valuable to hear from people who are actually walking the walk and how it's gone for them. It's been a real honor to be on your podcast, Malcolm and uh, Peter, and to uh, continue building a friendship with you both. I respect you a lot. I've loved a bunch of the previous podcasts, and I'm very excited, especially if you continue uh, doing community profiles kind of like this one to, to get to hear from other communities. Um, this has been fun for me and uh, inspiring. So I thank you both very much. Thank you, Aaron. It was a blessing to listen to you today and to reconnect after some time and um, hopefully get to visit again down the road as a pilgrim dropping on in. I feel like I always have a home at Casa Caribou. Absolutely. Definitely. We would love to have you. Sue says hi, by the way. Oh, great. Thanks. Thanks again, both of you. Have a great day. And uh, for the listeners, wait for our next podcast in two weeks' time.